Hi everyone, this is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show, and this show is for anyone that has a passion for making other people healthier in this world. And along those lines, I'm really excited to have Stuart Weitzman on the show today. We've been wanting Stuart to be on for a while now, and I'm really excited that he was able to carve out time in his morning to be with us. Stuart is the commercial director for healthcare for GE Ventures, and really excited to have him go deeper on uh, go-to-market commercialization strategy, but most importantly, his story, where he started off, how he got to where he's at today. Uh, Stuart, welcome to the show. Anthony, thank you. It's great to be here. And I've uh, listened to a lot of your prior podcasts and guests, and I'm excited to be part of the clan. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, blessed to have you on the show and great to have you here. And, you know, as you know, you know, we we really dive into story format. You know, people love to hear people's stories, but I think it's also really good just to, you know, hear your personal story on, you know, where you started off and how you got to where you're at today. Great. Yeah. I I didn't have a traditional healthcare startup uh, or start experience. I actually started at GE, but in the lighting business. So I spent 13 years in our lighting business doing B2B and B2C sales and marketing and spent a small period of time in a Six Sigma role. I then left and went into financial services for a couple of years doing corporate marketing and then went into an industrial manufacturing environment Uh, where I led sales and marketing. But I got my start in healthcare, just I think right place, right time. A former HR leader at GE uh, was at the Cleveland Clinic and he was the head HR leader there and recruited me over there to become the executive director of marketing and strategy at the Cleveland Clinic. And what a great way to see healthcare from a premier brand perspective Spent a couple of years there in marketing. I, I had responsibility for all the service line marketing at Cleveland Clinic, CCF.org, all of our market research and planning, and then all of our direct marketing. And then went back to GE, uh, went to GE Healthcare, and spent five years there really helping build and develop solution selling for GE. We were, on, we were on a journey to go from selling just stuff and technology to actually selling things that solved customer problems and could be seen as a solution. And also thinking about selling into the C-suite. And then that really positioned me for uh, my latest uh, step at GE, which is GE Ventures. And I know we'll spend some time in this space, which is really the corporate innovation arm of GE that's really helping GE look forward five to seven years and making equity investments and bets in new ideas and new technologies that are going to disrupt the market that we think are things that we need to pay attention to and things that possibly we need to be in the long term have an eye on towards partnering with to help GE be successful in the future. Great, great. Stuart, thanks for sharing that, your, your background. Um, you know, and along those lines, you know, just to echo, you know, I've been a big fan of the, the GE system for a long time. I think it was, I was, I, I had to drive a, a while for a job in, in Florida and to fill the drive time, I would download audiobooks. And I, I remember the moment that I had listened to winning and straight from the gut from Jack Welch. Uh, and that inspired me actually to, to get certified in Six Sigma and the current comp and the current company I was with at the time had a program and that kind of got me started down the Six Sigma path. But sir, before we dive into a couple of elements, right, with GE Ventures putting some bets into the future for the next five, seven, 10 years. But um, before we hear about your passions and what you're passionate about today in, in healthcare, 
Um, just a quick overview for our listeners about the GE way or, or Six Sigma. Obviously, it's changed a little bit, but any any uh, pre- prefacing there about you know what is Six Sigma? You know what what's the current philosophy like? Uh, sometimes we have listeners that hear these terms a lot, but it'd be kind of great to define them out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'll cover a couple of concepts because I've seen an evolution. I the first my first journey with GE was under Jack Welch, and then when I left and came back, Jeff Immelt was running it. So under the Jack Welch days, Six Sigma was really about the reduction of variation because uh, variation created uh, uncertainty and errors and defects, and that's really what Six Sigma is about. It's a very methodological approach to defining the problem, measuring it analyzing it, improving it, and then putting in what they call a control plan so that the problem doesn't pop up again. And GE was able to really standardize this thought methodology across the entire business and drive significant product quality improvements and cost savings for the entire organization. I think we then jumped into a a stage of kind of lean manufacturing, which I think a lot of organizations went into where you're really trying to get to almost a just in time or a very smooth manufacturing process where there's very little waste and very little downtime in the cycle. And then most recently, within the last couple of years, we embraced more of a startup mentality uh, that Eric Reese kind of made familiar with his book called The Lean Startup. And mm-hmm. uh, we branded it, we called it FastWorks. And it was really about a lot of the terms you hear, you know, fail fast, fail often, come up with what we coined kind of a minimally viable product or a minimally viable solution, what, one that's not perfect, but that you know that you can take to market or, or take to an environment, test, learn, iterate, and, and do again. And so that's been more of the pervasive thinking at GE um, over the last couple of years. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I didn't know about the the Eric Reese and the FastWorks. Actually, I've heard about it, but I didn't make that distinct connection. Uh, so really, uh, really appreciate that. And uh, it's interesting. I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast the other day and Jack Welch was on there. I don't know. Maybe it was like a few months ago, mm-hmm. but uh, he's still he's still, you know, out there pounding the pavement and <laughs> preaching the gospel. He was talking yeah. about top grading, but he, it was interesting. He had a deeper narrative on top grading that I think was a little bit more modern than when his books came out. And it was really refreshing to hear. But uh, Stuart, tell us a little bit about um, tell us a little bit about your passions in healthcare today. Like what has you passionate theme wise in terms of healthcare? Uh, Absolutely. Well, let me give kind of like a 30 seconds on what GE Ventures is structured and then that'll tie into the passion. So there's there's kind of three legs to the chair to GE Ventures. There's a mm-hmm. there's an equity investing arm that uh, invests in kind of four segments. There's a healthcare segment, there's a manufacturing and energy and a software segment. There's a licensing and tech transfer arm that takes a lot of GE's IP. We have about 80,000 patents across all of GE, which is amazing. And this group is able to take bundles of that and monetize it so that others can benefit and other new partnerships can join. And then the third piece is a new business creation arm that actually creates Mm -hmm. NUCOs. And we've created about nine different companies um, some that have actually been acquired by bigger concerns. Mm. So my, my passion is really around scale and growth of startups. And so when I joined G Ventures now about four and a half years ago, uh, as a commercial director, it was a brand new role. It hadn't been done before. There, there was this vision saying, hey, we can do more than just put money into our startups. 
what we can bring the toolkit of GE to them. And so the piece that I focused on was really around commercialization. So how do we build partnerships within GE with the startups where it makes sense and or how can we help reduce their sales cycle time and drive win rate for them with our external ecosystem and partners, which really is our customers. So in my case, in healthcare, it's healthcare providers. And so mm -hmm. really becoming an extra resource for them. We actually had at, have at GE Ventures a broader platform that beyond just commercial development, we provide a lot of leadership training to our CEOs. We'll provide executive coaching. We'll embed GE employees for what we call bubble assignments to come in and help out for three to four months and do lots of different things. Because again, everyone's money is the same color, but as a corporate VC, it's, it's what else can you bring to the table to accelerate the growth and success of that startup? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. No, this is great. You know, and obviously, so, you know, so obviously I run a, a health technology company called Health Hero. You know, this is something that, you know, resource wise, I mean, we embrace our constraints, but when it comes to commercialization, partnering, um, you know, working with, you know, large companies and, you know, going to market more efficiently so we don't have to hire, you know, our own BD teams, et cetera, and then, and then top grade later. Right. But no, but all kidding aside, Stuart, um, Tell us a little bit about the commercialization, working with startups, some of the mechanisms you formed, you know, you, you mentioned nine new companies formed, um, you know, helping companies grow. Tell us a little bit more tactics or secrets or yeah, tips absolutely. In, in this space, you know, the, 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 the interesting recipes that you've seen by seeing so many patterns. Yeah, let's start with the internal side. So, you know, partnering with a big, complex company like GE, uh, you know, one I think for the startup is getting a sense of, and that, that means that, you know, GE is likely going to partner and resell the solution. So what does the GE sales process look like and the sales cycle and the sales training? Because just like, you know, anyone else, you're trying to get your unfair share of that salesperson's time to help sell your solution. And so uh, some of the secrets there have been around really connecting with our product marketing team and helping them understand how a startup can either help solve a GE problem or a GE customer problem. And if you think about it, you know, there's really three ways to do it. You can build it yourself, you can buy it, or you can partner. And so the GE Ventures piece is all about the partnership. And partnership these days, and, and you probably see it as a CEO yourself, really is a oftentimes a much faster way to get to market than waiting to go through your own cycle of budgeting and building and, and all of that. Moreover, startups can pivot quicker. Oftentimes they can, they can fail faster. Sometimes they can de-risk riskier things and it doesn't require as, you know, maybe as big of a, a bet or an investment from a bigger company. So you can, you know, test and learn with lots. So I'd say with, a, with, with the trade or the secrets inside of GE is, really understand what problems they're trying to solve and how does your startup help do that either help solve it in my in my language a ge problem or a ge customer mm -hmm. problem and then second really align with um how they're gonna how they go to market and how would you mm -hmm. be integrated with that so things like uh lead management and sharing lead management i've spent a lot of times with startups working on you know how do we partner together to call on customers at the same time Right. Uh, and how do we tell an integrated story? And then there's a lot of operational things. You know, how can we make sure that we are um, 
you know, leveraging some of the uh, telesales and other things that we have to build that funnel uh, for the startup. So those are some of the in- the internal things. And then there's obviously you know, co-marketing and going to trade shows together and, and those things. Externally, um, it's it's a different world because there mm-hmm. you're actually going out into, you know, in my case, the healthcare provider ecosystem. And mm-hmm. so a couple of a couple of things there. I set up a process internally, which really had kind of four steps to it. One was first step was meet with our account executive for that account because that our mm-hmm. account executives own a very horizontal relationship at the customer, at the C-suite and at the department level. And so oftentimes for a startup that wanted to either accelerate the existing activity there or uh, begin to call on that account, there's a lot of insights and intelligence that we could provide to them to get them started, as well as begin to open some doors. Mm-hmm. Second step was to take them to that customer. So not just have them do a call with a G person and say, good luck. But the second is actually go with them to some of those initial discussions and then help them debrief afterwards. So they could really interpret, you know, because un- healthcare providers are as complex and as, as you, as you likely know, Anthony is as, as unique as, as big companies like GE. So help them understand right. what they heard and how to navigate and, and all that. Um, and then as they get deeper into discussions, continue to be a resource for them. But mm-hmm. I'd see a, I'd say about two or three things for startups to think about as they approach a healthcare provider with their solution. So first off is don't be a solution in search of a problem. You know, have, right. understand again that cost that customer problem or challenge that you're trying to solve, and try to put the CFO hat on as well as the clinician hat on, and think about your solution and and try to think through: Are you solving it better? then they can currently solve it. Are you solving it faster? Are you solving it cheaper? And are you solving a metric or, or, or delivering something back to them that they truly will measure and value? Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because sometimes we talk about, well, to be a better physician experience or well, to be a better patient experience. Those are harder to measure than I'm actually showing you how I can reduce cost or I'm actually showing you how I can drive revenue. Uh, second is for startups to invest in the time to build those metrics and build those examples. Because oftentimes startups come in with likely a you know, one solution. Let's say it's just a solution in the cardiology space or it's a solution in the perinatal space. And healthcare providers are often looking for you know, platform solutions. But if you can come in with, I can solve this particular thing and I can go horizontal, but let me start here. You know, uh, and here are the metrics and the things I really impact. And then the last thing, and I'll pause and, and let you jump back in, is really understand your customer or physician workflow. Because again, mm-hmm. a lot of times people are coming up with really cool ideas. Maybe it's a cool algorithm or a new technology. You know, obviously, digital health and post-acute care is huge. But not really thinking through either the patient experience, patient journey with that technology or the physician uh, experience with that technology. So uh, really understanding how they would use it and integrating it, designing it into that so that it fits in. Wow. Yeah, no, this is super, super powerful. Um, you know, definitely some really good best practices. I appreciate you sharing, Stuart. And uh, yeah, along the lines we had on a podcast, I think I might have mentioned, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago. 
uh, Peter Longo, who helps uh, organizations like Salesforce sell into healthcare. And he was sharing, you know, very similar thoughts. You know, one interesting takeaway was like, you know, he, uh, I would not even think about this, but he's like, never provide a quote, um, a pricing quote, unless the CFO, you can meet with the CFO or have them see it first of the hospital. And I thought that was pretty profound. And I'm like, well, what do you do? How do you move forward the deal if the CFO can't <laughs> meet for six months right. or is, is copying, you know, his his admin assistant to book a meeting and then you're nine emails in on trying to book a meeting. And it was pretty interesting. Yeah. He was just like saying, you know, um, well, we just don't meet then for six months and just move on to the next, the next, you know, opportunity or deal, but you're, you're sharing some really good, you know, insights here. Um, what else, what else, Dory? what else, what are some other differences or along the same lines that make, make the difference? Yeah. I think the other thing that is probably what he was addressing and what startups feel is they get stuck in, you know, pilot after pilot, you know, and how do right. you, how do you go from pilot to, you know, kind of more of a integrated or a bot solution or enterprise solution. And I'd say for your pilots, again, it is making sure that the pain point you're solving is a priority and that they really care about it. Number two is to put some milestones in that pilot that trigger a longer term commitment. So you, you can do a pilot, but you know, try to work language into that pilot that says, if we achieve the milestones we said here, you will buy or you will commit to a bigger solution with us. Right. Uh, and 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 try to you know build that language in is helpful. Right. Uh, and then three is around, um, you know, think about also that that healthcare system is again depending on the problem you're solving or the solution that you have, is competing for market share. And so they're always looking for ways to, um, you know, and they, and they have probably massive PR and marketing machines tell stories. So th you think as a marketer too, try, try to ex help that healthcare system see how or envision the storytelling that could happen with the solution that you bring to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and even be willing to roll up your sleeves as a startup and be part of, you know, creating that story with them that could be taken to market. The benefit for you as the startup is, is you get a chance to, to reuse that story uh, yourself. And then the last idea would be there are lots of great industry events. You know, Med City News runs on Rock Health. Um, there's a, the, this will be the second year for the big HLTH event. Look, mm -hmm. for, look for opportunities to try to co-present with mm. your startup, with your some of your partners. It gives you, you know, that external kind of buy-in and support. Uh, it will help you with your networking. Uh, and mm -hmm. it could be, a, again, another great way to really promote your solution and have that external voice of customer endorsement mm. that could be critical to persuading others. And then lastly, I'd say is... Once you get one or two customers, don't be afraid to go back to them and have them help you get warm introductions to their peers. Think mm. about the fact that they are well networked in the healthcare ecosystem across the U.S. So I yeah. think it's it's it networking is the key to success in a lot of things. And once you get a couple of customers, having them help provide warm introductions to new customers mm -hmm. is, is a great way to go and very efficient way to go. Mm, I love it. Yeah, no, super helpful. And, and to, you know, echo or amen on the co-presenting. Yeah, I experienced that, you know, at Dreamforce, we got to co-present with Capital Blue. Uh, and then and then we, we hit a huge, like, inflection point after that, just, you know, the syndication of that 
that that media and then on um yeah no on the last point as well um you know a follow up to that you know as a small startup sometimes getting started off you don't want to fatigue your current clients as well like when investors or new clients want to speak to them as well any any creative like scalable ways to do that like maybe recording that you know testimonials as well i mean i know it's more about like getting your current clients to refer you out to current other new clients as well but how about on testimonials and not fatiguing a small batch of clients with too many you know people that like an investor says let me talk to your clients and then you know um next thing you know <laughs> that one customer is lined up with six six calls right for <laughs> with the investor or the any thoughts along those lines on how to make that a better a better process so you're, you're not fatiguing your 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 loved clients yeah i, I think it's a, it's definitely you have to manage it for sure you don't right, want to fatigue right, people. Right. so i think there are ways to leverage different mediums to mm-hmm. engage and certainly if you can get something blogged or published um pu- you know, mm-hmm. published and have some type of medical endorsement is one way right. second is you know that's that's ideal uh second mm-hmm. is to you know if you're going to co-present with them you know, potentially you could record that or cur- you know pull sound bites or pieces out of it that that help you with that um but i think there's also a matter of i i think a lot of startups they can only digest so many leads as well so you know i think mm-hmm. oftentimes it does it does kind of self balance itself out so that you're not fatiguing them too much. And once you win new business, you can go to, to new people, you know, and, and have, right. them, have them give warm introductions as well. But I think that those are, you know, some of the ideas you just stated are all good ideas for, um, mm-hmm. for ways to kind of you know, get your message out there and, mm-hmm. and really, again, people I think are looking, healthcare providers are looking for the, the facts, the proof, because you're really right. asking them to do something new or to change a behavior and do something different. And mm-hmm. I think the lack of proof points slows uh, right. new, new solutions down more than anything else. Right. Yeah. No, I'm amen, Stuart. Yeah. The validation feels, you know, super key and being able to codify that is really key, which is, you know, really the core of, of what a new potential client or new potential investors you know, trying to, trying to glean. So I, I appreciate this for refreshing for me personally. So I, I appreciate this. Um, Stuart, let me ask you. So, uh, GE ventures, right. You know, in, in the healthcare sector specifically, GE ventures is investing in lots of really interesting, cool fringe technology from, you know, freight, AI, robotics, um, you know, uh, every, and everything in between, but, but tell us a little bit about what has you excited about the future? You had mentioned earlier um, on the show about you know GE Ventures looking in healthcare, looking at the next five and seven years and beyond. Tell us what has you excited about the future, either thematically or if you even want to mention some some you know yeah some uh, definitely yeah I think uh, there's a couple of companies that come to mind. Some we've invested in, some we haven't. So one is Genome Medical, which we we led the A round in. Uh, their CEO is Lisa Alderson, and what they are is they're a national telehealth company that delivers uh, genomic counseling and genomic medicine support uh, because there's really a shortage of those resources in the U.S. So they can do everything from the intake screening to the test ordering to the test interpretation and then the care plan, all in partnership with a healthcare provider uh, system. And so there, for me, healthcare is headed into that 
genomic space and you and I had chatted earlier about pharmacogenomics and you know, really how medicine can be tailored to your specific body and, and your, your genotype. So that's mm. one area that I think has a lot of promise and a lot of upside. Right. I think clinical decision support, you know, I, th- I think we're, the, you know, we have over indexed on the word artificial intelligence these days. There's, it, it yeah. is, the theme at Hims, it's the theme at RSNA, it's, it seems to be the theme everywhere. But really now being able to take information from lots of different disparate places and bring it together in a usable way that either drives decision making for the clinician or for the healthcare administrator. You know, there's just really kind of two sides to the table. So a couple of couple companies come to mind. One is a company called Biome. CEO is Stuart Jacobson. What he does in the cardiology space is he enables cardiology practices to really come up with a true cost PL, cost accounting PL for their cardiology practice and look at a physician level, at a procedure level, even at a material level, what's driving revenue and what's driving costs. Uh, and so he's been able to figure out that secret sauce in terms of the connecting of lots of different disparate data sources and bring it together in a effective clinical decision support format. There's another company that uh, we that we haven't invested in, but that I find fascinating, which is called Ation. Uh, they just did their Series B round. Uh, they're uh, part of the Flare Capital portfolio. And they're partnered with the FDA and what they're, they're doing kind of pop health epidemiology analytics. And again, they're, they're a lot about the connecting of disparate data and they're, and they're really embedded well with pharma and with payers uh, and they're beginning to target healthcare providers, but really looking at things at a, at a more of a macro level and being able to draw massive connections between uh, pharmaceutical uh, care that was given the outcomes that were done, and then come up with new care pathways, new care guidelines for people. And then the last one is um, uh, an interesting company called Health Reveal. And what I like about this company is a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into healthcare to develop those care guidelines, you know, the care protocols, what should be done when you have a stroke, Mm -hmm. what should be done when you present with this or that. And it's amazing how much is not followed by physicians. Mm-hmm. And so there's a company called Health Reveal. The CEO is Lonnie Reisman. They've come up with a way of codifying the uh, clinical care guidelines for uh, metabolic disease, specifically around right now around heart failure. And mm-hmm. so they're able to go in and actually think about, uh, you know, the check engine light in your car. They able to, they're able to go backwards for, for patients and see where care was and wasn't given correctly. And then they're able to predict going forward what kind of care needs to be given. So kind of that check mm-hmm. engine light, when do you need your oil changed? And so I think it's those, those advances in the clinical decision support as well as genomic medicine that have me excited because, um, you know, there's going to be l- – uh, in the future, we, we, we know, we've known for years, there's going to be a shortage of doctors, a shortage of nurses, and we're going to need to use technology to help deliver healthcare and mass to us going forward. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, it's, it's super exciting from, you know, genomics to, uh, Etienne, if I'm pronouncing it right, we had Flair Capital on the show as well. And, and, uh, yeah, I love their approach, right? It's like, you know, applying super sense to those high stakes questions in healthcare. And then, you know, to your latter point with, um, 
with health reveal, right? It, it's, it's not just, you know, providing insights, but actually what's the recipe and prescription on how to improve these things using AI. And, um, it's an exciting time. It really does feel like we're, we're in, you know, living in science fiction with great areas of opportunity and, and along these lines. And, um, and I'm appreciate your time. Sorry if we're going a little bit o- over, yeah. I think I can geek out with you all day with this stuff, but on, on these, on these themes, um, how does go to market and commercialization change, if at all, with these with these different types of companies? Obviously, digital healthcare is a, a little bit different, but any any secrets or tips in commercializing technologies and companies and organizations like this to get their services placed in the demands? Right. So it's a it's a given, right? These these things need to be in the hands. They need to be commercialized. They need to be yeah. consumerized. How do you get them to market? You know, well, it's it's a great question because sometimes you know there's that uh, it could have been that Jerry Maguire movie, you know, or that was Show Me the Money, but it's Follow the Money. It's, <laughs> it's where 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 does where do things get paid? So if you think about uh, genomic medicine, you, know, you need payers to 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 want to cover it and see the value, and I think that's another hurdle startups mm-hmm. have is is who's going to pay for the solution. And a lot mm-hmm. of times, startups will think, well, the healthcare provider will pay for it. Well, right. the healthcare providers operate on a 2% operating margin for the most part. Uh, so they can't, and their revenues are declining and their costs are increasing, and most of their costs are tied up in people. <laughs> and they've already squeezed a lot of the juice out of the lemon in terms of supply chain and really mm-hmm. kind of trying to take cost out with working, you know, against with vendors like GE and Stryker and Medtronics, we've all gone through the, the grinder of giving up, you know, price. So, you know, the next place is deliver care much more efficiently and effectively and still again, figure out who's going to pay for it. So I think one of the, to answer your question, one of the things is about where it's going to get paid. Second is about um, your target audience. And so let's, let's take genome medical, for example, you know, their, their target audience is, 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 complex a little bit because in in some cases it is the uh, physicians who um, may or may not be trained in the genomic space but have patients showing up with their 23andme test and saying what does mm. this mean and so you've right. got to so again you've got to be- begin to f- help figure out where do you integrate into that healthcare system what's the, what's their pain point and again build by your partner can they build it mm-hmm. can they buy it or can they partner? And I think right. in a lot of cases, startups would would want to um, you know become either a vendor or a partner. We can maybe even use those uh, interchangeably and mm-hmm. helping to solve that problem um, for the healthcare provider. And then I think you know the last thing would be there's another um, uh, you know as technology changes so fast and, and evolves so fast. So think about the cloud and and. And, and HIPAA in healthcare specifically and information. Mm-hmm. There's a company, another company you and I talked about when we were um, meeting last week, it's called Arteris, which is San Francisco based. Fabian Beckers is the CEO. They do cloud-based imaging analytics where they take the images into the cloud, you know, which is massive amounts of data. They annotate that, which means they mark it up mm-hmm. and then they bring it back to the radiologist. And then they're able to leverage um, they're actually FDA approved for their machine learning. They're able to leverage thousands and thousands of images and give the radiologists a smart answer back to them. So in their case, you know, uh, they're potentially disrupting um, 
industry that has been there for a while in terms of technology platforms and the storing of radiology images and then you know uh, who owns the image and, and how does it get delivered and all of that and so for them they've got to think through um, how do they make radiologists feel comfortable that they're not displacing you know no one wants to lose their job to technology uh, so it is how does this solution help me do my job better, help me save time in my job, perhaps free mm-hmm. me up to, you know, there's a term practice at the top of my license. You know, how does this technology mm-hmm. free, free me up to do that, uh, you know, better. So again, thinking about the value prop and how you position yourself as a startup to not threaten uh, that physician. But it, again, going back to what I started the show with is if you can help them solve a pro- their problem or a customer problem and you're right. doing it in a way that they can't do it, I think that's the, 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 the question and the mindset you should go into it with. Mm, mm. Now, Stuart, this is great. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, no, it's super exciting. Just, you know, Genome Medical, for example, as well, right? It feels like not just those tests can help you know, people heal and, and uh, get to the next level. But it, it just almost like changes the paradigm of, right, you know, these types of technologies change the the paradigm as well. And so, you know, I'd like, you know, if a, a loved one of mine in the next, you know, 5, 10, 20 years gets something really wonky health-wise, it'd be great to, you know, know that a genome medical, you know, solution could help them get better. And it's available and there's an insurance element to it, right? So... There is. And, and you know, the, the reality is we're not going to mass produce enough genetic counselors and genetic physicians in the near term right. to solve this. And second is that there, as you were saying, there's, you know, if I had an issue, then it's likely my kids have that potential issue. And so right. healthcare, if you can proactively identify um, a potential risk, you could begin to monitor it and catch it earlier. So, you know, there's a big thing around, um, uh, people who have had breast, uh, certain types of breast cancer are more susceptible to having ovarian cancer. Well, ovarian cancer is very difficult to uh, detect early and it's really detected late and it can be fatal. So again, you know, think about uh, the cost of healthcare and, and how much money, you, you know, you and I have both seen the statistics on, um, you know, really where is it most expensive and it's typically most expensive at very sick end of life, you know, experiences or when you catch things super late. So the ability mm-hmm. to catch earlier, prevent earlier, does represent cost savings. And honestly, um, or, or hopefully, um, we save lives and, and better quality of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Stuart, that's a, that's a great point. And I, I think we're, we're ending on a, on a great note and, you know, one that also paves the way for, um, no, this is, this is super great. You know, the, the, the possibilities are really, you know, right in front of us and endless when it comes to these technologies and you're betting on them, right? You're, you're voting with your dollars, right. G ventures. You personally are doing that, um, you know, in your work every day. So it's a blessing. It's such high impact decision-making that is really going to pave the way for, you know, populations and the, the, you know, humanity. It's just super fascinating. And I can geek out with you this stuff on this stuff for, for a while, but we'll have to have you back throughout the year, you know, kind of, you know, hear about some of the other companies that you're either looking at or did some transactions with and, and hear how some of these companies are commercializing and going to market. And so thanks for sharing. And I think our listeners are really going to benefit from, from, from these tips. Um, 
Stuart, if our audience wants to engage with you, what would be a great way to do so? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge networker and a huge believer in LinkedIn. So just reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, send me uh, an invite, just like you did, and uh, <laughs> and I'll get back to you and we can connect and have a conversation. Great, great. Stuart, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for making on time, speci- making time especially on a Monday. Absolutely. And uh, this was great to, to do this with you. And um, to our listeners out there, Pop Health Show, this is for people with a passion for making other people healthier in this world. Thanks so much, everyone. And Stuart, thanks again. Thanks, Anthony.